I believe that even though we cannot control what happens to us, we do have complete control over how we choose to respond. I believe that this life is love school. Every experience, whether it's joyful or painful, is an opportunity for us to learn, change, and grow into a better version of ourselves. This is why I created Life is Love School. I am Yume Chang, and I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome back. You're in for a treat today. I'm going to share an episode of Raj Montage from the On Call In Path interviewing me. Specifically, he wanted me to talk about what it's like to grow up with abusive parents in Asia, the cultural differences and as it relates to abuse, as well as me personally, how it's affected me, and then how I heal from the abuse. So without further ado, let's cut right to it. Welcome to the On Call Empath Show with Raj Montage. Today we have a special guest, uh, Yume Chang. I put her bio um, on social media. She is uh, has a great website called Life is Love School. I would definitely go check it out. Um, Yume has a unique story that she'd like to share, and I think you can get a lot of value out of it. So Yume... Uh, how are you doing today? Hey, I am doing well. Um, like everybody else, I'm kind of holed up at home with a husband um, and also a adopted cat called Snuggles. So there's, the, you know, <laughs> at least there's three of us. It's not too bad. I won't complain. <laughs> oh, that's that's great. I I used to have a cat too. Um, so just to kind of give a little bit of background about yourself, tell me a little bit about you and. Um, if you don't mind, just we can dr- dive right in and just uh, describe your childhood experiences. Sure. Um, hey, Raj. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for inviting me. Um, you have excellent content uh, content here, and, and I'm like a, a fan of your podcast. Uh-huh. So as Raj mentioned, I, I run a website, lifeisloveschool.com, and I post a lot about healing from abuse because I grew up in Taiwan. Uh, for the most part, until I was age 20. Then I came to the U.S. for grad school at Stanford. Um, up until then, um, I was raised by parents that were both abusive. So uh, my parents were never diagnosed, but I would say that they're both narcissistics in different ways. My father is overt and violent. My mother is less violent, but she's emotionally very abusive, more of a covert type um, with deep deep, kind of deeply ingrained a sense of victimhood. So being raised in that family... And then growing up in Taiwan, where it's a typical kind of Asian society, where in a way people worship parents as gods, uh, there is even a saying that parents can never do any wrong. So if you think about blanket denial of any possible childhood abuse, I think that's the way to go is to say the parents can never be wrong. And I remember growing up that whenever I show up with war, like, you know, welts on my body after abuse or whatever. And, and people do know about it. Um, my classmates know about it. Our neighbors know about it. Um, my, the colleagues of my father, who's a professor, they all know about it. But people just don't do anything. They, they actually sometimes would tell the, the children or the, the, my mom to basically keep it quiet, right? Keep it within the family. Um, so that was kind of the backdrop of how we grew up. And I have siblings as well. And all of us suffer the same kind of abuse. Wow. I, I appreciate you sharing that story. I can relate. I'm East Indian. Uh, my parents are from India. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's it's like a common thing, but I went through the similar things where, you know, education, 
pressures, you know, all of that was very, very traumatic. Um, I had a lot of problems growing up um, and self-esteem issues. And that's one of the reasons uh, I created this podcast is just to kind of let everybody know that it's it's more common than we think. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up. If you can describe um, your culture and how it differs, like let's say from the Western culture, uh, parent like your parents, you already mentioned, uh, cultural norms, expectations. Do they want you to be a certain way or, you know, be somebody you're not? Like, what was that like for you? So for my parents, I, I don't necessarily think that they had children for the right reason. Um, my mom said that she had babies because babies are cute. Um, I don't think my father ever really wanted to have children. And they were both unhealed people is what I would call it, right? And when you see abuse happens, is usually a traumatized child trying to raise the next generation. And they had babies before they even knew that, first of all, they had a problem and, and know how to heal themselves. So it just kind of perpetuates the abuse. In terms of your question of the cultural backdrop, I think the difference perhaps is at least here in the U.S., right, people get abused. I, I work with abuse victims, but it's, there's more of a general understanding of how it happens. You know, what is narcissism? What is gaslighting? All these understandings, they exist. Whereas even today, my sister is like, wow, you know, you create all this content and blogs and, and stuff in English, but what about, you know, all the Mandarin-speaking Chinese people in China and Taiwan? They're still really behind on even understanding that they're being abused and then, you know, let alone trying to heal from it. Right. So they're very far from that. There's that. And also the expectation from Asian parents, like the tiger mom, tiger dad is is true. Right. There is some truth behind a stereotype is they want you to grow up a certain way. And in a sense, they feel like you owe them to be that way, like whatever dream they want you to be. My parents wanted me to be an engineer. Right. Computer science or whatever it is, which is what I ended up doing is computer <laughs> science. I happen to like it, but. My siblings did not like math or science, so then they had a, a much harder time growing up in a family where the parents only valued your kind of engineering or science skills and then any other interests, whether it's music or literature or art, it's just, it's just not valued. And so it's very difficult to be yourself unless you happen to line up to what they want. And I think even though I'm the eldest and they try to designate me as a golden child, I just, I cannot conform. I, I think I was born with a little bit of a rebellious nature in me and I don't subscribe well to authoritarian rules if I don't think it makes sense. And I certainly did not think the way that my parents treated us like an object, like we belong, like our lives belong to them in both literal and figurative sense. Um, sometimes when my, my father is beating us up, he'll be like, you know, I gave you life, I can take it away. Um, so there's a, a very much a sense of entitlement. Right. I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, my, I feel like my parents feel like they did the best they could raising me. Um, I, I'm thinking maybe it was generational. Maybe they went through something similar and their parents went something similar not to, you know, write anything off, but now in the new generation, more people are coming out. They're speaking out about it. It's not right. And I'm glad we're having this open conversation because there's a lot of people out there right now that are listening to this that can, you know, totally identify this no matter what, you know, what your background is. Um, abuse is abuse is abuse. So it is not okay. Um, 
so my next uh, question is, what is like the worst, like what was the worst thing that you can remember till this day that still affects you in your everyday life far as career, making friends, relationship? How, how much of that abuse is still with you that you carry with you? And, and uh, if you can explain that. Of course, I think for me, because the abuse got so bad, um, and I, I saw that happen to a lot of people that went through abuse is that the memory is actually not there. So I remember a whole lot when I was a toddler, including when I was sitting on a high chair before I even know how to say anything other than Papa and Mama. I remember all those things. And yet I can't remember much of what happened after I'd say about age six, between age six and 20. A lot of that memory is very fuzzy, including, you know, how I got sent to the hospital after a beating. My brother had to tell me what happened. So I probably can't tell you even some of the most horrendous things because the memory is blocked. But the, the interesting thing is, though, the detail of what happened may have been blocked. The emotion is there and it gets triggered in day to day life. Right. I may see my husband feeling frustrated and he frowns. I actually did a podcast about this and. And when he frowned, it might not even be directed at me, but then I started to freak out because when I saw my father frown, right, really, really bad things happen. Um, so just little things that trigger you. But what I realized in, in the healing journey is that as I heal more, because I started a healing journey, you know, at 20, basically, and been in therapy and journaling, and I tried pretty much every technique that, um, or most of the techniques that people think are good. And as I healed, what I realized is that the stuff I have to deal with become smaller and more sophisticated. So it used to be that, you know, anything can trigger me. <laughs> now it's like, okay, there are very specific things that right. trigger me. And, and then I also know I'm aware that when this is happening and I have I have an outsized response, it's not necessarily what's happening now. I'm dredging up what happened from the past and I ex- can talk to myself to talk myself down as well as even communicate to the other party to say, you know, this is what's happening to me. I might be overreacting, but I want to double check with you, right? To have that communication, it requires a certain level of self-understanding and also the willingness to be vulnerable with the other party. Um, So for me, that's something. And then if you're talking about like something that impacted me for a very long time, it's actually my father. um, He used to just randomly wake people up in the middle of the night. (laughs) You know, you can ask him and every time he'll give you a different random reason. There's just no rhyme or reason. I think that's very typical of abuse is that that's part of it is they want to destabilize you. And what better way than to randomly hurt you, harass you, and then change your rule all the time. So you're constantly feeling like you're unstable. You just don't know what to expect. You don't know what bomb you're going to step on, even if you try everything you possibly can to be careful around the house. So then that trains your amygdala to basically constantly um, being scanning for issues, right? So you're always on high alert. It's very hard to calm down. So I have to personally do a lot of work, um, whether that's like yoga or meditation or journaling, et cetera, to kind of over time, like train my amygdala to say, okay, it's okay now. I'm safe. Like literally repeat to myself, look around the room, like I'm, I'm here, right? They're all the way in Taiwan, um, a Pacific wow. Ocean away, and now they're in their 70s, and I am a big and fairly strong person. So <laughs> um, a lot of what I work I do on Life is Love School and on the Facebook page is like to remind people over and over, we're big people now. You know, when, when we're triggered, when we're afraid, we snap right back, right? You probably feel that right. way too, like snap right back. I'm just a child, even though I'm like 6'4", 
and 200 pounds. I'm a baby. I'm a baby boy. <laughs> and my parents are yelling at me and they're going to kill me. I'm going to die. Right. That's the story. And it was true. It was true at one point in our life. We were in danger. And and I knew that my life was in danger. I was oftentimes, you know, feeling that my back is against the wall. It's like I either jump out of the, you know, we lived on a, the top floor in a five story building. I was contemplating many times, like, should I jump outside? If I jump through the window down five stairs, can I survive it? Or is it better to, you know, get the beating, right? Um, I'm glad I didn't jump, but those were wow. not like, I'm trying to commit suicide. No, it's, I'm trying to save myself. Maybe that's a better option. Uh, to be put in that kind of situation is you're putting right. a young child in the war zone constantly, where the child, the difference is um, when an adult being abused, it's really bad, right? I'm not giving you an excuse to any types of abuse, but the adult has some options. They can call the police, they can you know, get a lawyer. Most of the times you can leave, but as a child, you can't go anywhere. You really don't have options. And that's what makes it really hard. Wow. I, I want to thank you for sharing that. I mean, I agree, you know, trauma does change the brain. Um, you know, we, it's like a defense mechanism to have like, kind of like an amnesia, like you forget about it. I know a lot of times, you know, people that have been abused, they don't remember it. So everything that you're saying, I totally can resonate with. Um, hopefully my viewers and or my audience members could also uh, relate with this too. Um, so my, my next quick question is like, how do you cope with all this? You've been through so much in life. I mean, it's amazing how, how you've come so far and you've created this great website to help people love, uh, you know, love life. And how do you do it? Like, how do you stay so positive? And yeah, thanks for asking that question. So I started to run Life is Love School probably about six months ago. Um, the backstory is that when I was little, right, when you're stuck in a place where your parents are about to like beat you up. And it's, they're just coming and, you know, they're coming and you don't have much time. And I would just literally get down on my knees and I would pray. I pray to every single deity you can possibly imagine in the child's head. And I said, you know, if you would save me, if you'll save me, I'll follow you forever. I promise. But then, you know, nobody came. And so I decided then that one day, if I survive this, um, I will do something to help people that are going through this. And and there are a couple ways to help, right? I can help people like me that are grown ups that have a the, the wherewithal is an understanding to heal themselves. A lot of us do not understand this. Like you can see, you know, some of our leaders probably come from a very traumatized childhood and they don't even realize that uh, there is something going on that they need to fix. And those people are hard to reach. But for people that are somewhat awake, um, like I'm very lucky that myself and my siblings are all awake, right? We're on this journey to heal. Um, then the next step is to help them understand the linkage between what happened in the past and how they're feeling today, how they handle their relationship, their emotions. It affects every aspect of your life. And then to also kind of really carefully look, is there any victim mentality that you're still holding on? Like even for somebody like me, which I think is, you know, I pride myself as being very tough, very brave, very um, independent. But for years, I wasted a lot of energy in hating my parents. I was so angry at them. I was like, you know, you got to apologize. You don't apologize. I can't, I can't let go of this anger. Right. And I've since learned through you right. know, a lot of, a lot of different work that I did that I have to let that go because they likely will never wake up. They're in their seventies now and they still don't understand a thing. Um, <laughs> so I cannot hinge my happiness on what they do. Well, yeah, you can't. No, I cannot change, change anybody. anybody. And then I think the third hardest thing, right? The first one is to realize the past and how it links to the present. The second is 
to make sure you don't have any kind of victim mentality lingering, hoping that another person will save you. No, you have to save yourself. And for me, the third one is um, figuring out the strategies, like what works, what doesn't, because there's a lot of books out there, a lot of therapists, some people know better, some people don't. And, and so I tried a lot of different things to figure out what works. And then to be able to kind of reshare and teach people what works, um, I think is very gratifying. So that's why I do the work I do is kind of to make good on a promise I made as a child that one day I will help. And if I can just help one person, right. my mom was pregnant with me when she was on the courthouse. He, um, her father and brothers literally dragged my father to the courthouse to get a divorce because he was violent. He was violent already when she was pregnant wow. with me, their first child. And he he threatened suicide. So oh my, gosh. Um, my mom just made a wrong decision. He She took her ba uh, him back and then, you know, kind of the rest of the story is everybody got abused. So part of me is also trying to reach people that are about to get into a relationship are in a bad relationship or you know have children and trying to reach them and help them also get out and then heal wow that's that's powerful stuff um just to wrap it up here i, I want to ask you one final question um because we have a lot of listeners tuning in a lot of people are suffering right now they've been through so much trauma. Uh, what is one piece of advice that you can give to uh, the audience right now that feels helpless, that is going through what you went through? Is there any hope? Like, what can you give them that you've learned after all these years Absolutely. of trauma and so, abuse? That's a fantastic question. I think the reason I named the site Life is Love School is because a very good friend of mine who was also my therapist for many years. And I asked her the meaning of life. That's something that I've always been interested in. Like, what the hell are we doing here? Is it for me to work at Google or Microsoft? You know, these places I worked at. Is it for me to try to climb up the ladder, make more money? It doesn't, like everything I tried, it did right. not make me feel any better. You know, I got married and then I got divorced. I bought a house. So what, right? Like the joy that you get from achieving something is very temporary. So why are we here? And she says something that yes. like totally exactly. with me. She said, you know, you may, this life is love school. Um, we're here to just learn how to love ourselves right. first and, you know, how to love ourselves, feel our own tank, and then also how to love other people better. There's really no other purpose in life. Like the quality of our right. life and our happiness is really hinges on the relationship that we have with ourselves and with other people. So a lot of times people will be like, oh, you may, you know, I, I, um, I just escaped abuse, but I took him back and, you know, I'm, I'm a screw up. It's all over. I'm like, no, it's not all over. It's a school. So every day you're going to get some lesson, right? And then if you don't pass it, you'll just get the same lesson from the universe again. And then eventually you'll learn it. And guess what? There's another <laughs> lesson. It never ends. Like everybody, on, right? Everybody's working right. on something. We're just right. working on different lesson plans. And then, you know, when it's over, it's over. But um, we just do the best we can. There is no winning, no losing. It has nothing to do with outside achievements. I, I don't see a correlation there. Obviously, it sucks to be super poor, but when you're kind of, you know, have a bed, you have food to eat, et cetera. After that, it's really how, how much you love yourself and how much you love other people and the quality of that. That's beautiful. I mean, you are so inspirational. I hope if you're a listener right now and, and you're hearing this, know that you're not alone. It does get better. Um, I want to thank you, May, for being on this podcast. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Um, I will put the link to her website, uh, the Life is Love School, 
um, on the bio. Go check her out. She's got some great um, uh, Facebook page and uh, good things going on. Hopefully she'll join, join us back again in the future. Um, again, I want to thank you for sharing your, your story. I know you've been through so much in life. We'd love to have you back. So that concludes my interview with Raj. If you know somebody who would benefit from this episode, please share it with them. And also love to have you as a subscriber. If you don't mind leaving a review, it will really help us reach more people that need to hear this message. And I hope that you'll also find us on lifeisloveschool.com where you can subscribe to my newsletter and also link to our Facebook page where I post many tips every week on how to heal from abuse. It's also a great way to meet people that are on this healing journey. I'll see you next time.